Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And here we are on this fine morning. Hope all of you have had a good week and been enjoying the weather wherever you might be listening from. Of course, good old Ron Robbins is still down at the Southern Agricultural Command Center in 80 degree weather. Good morning, Mr. Robbins. Hey, good morning, Jay. I, you guys survived 30, 30 below zero wind chills over the weekend. My team back at the farm did an awesome job, and uh, I'm just kind of uh, laying low here and uh, and uh, enjoying some sunshine. So uh, we're going to be planting corn, over, starting planting our crop of corn down here over the weekend. And so we've got a little bit of that preseason jitters going on, but really looking forward to to uh, making that happen here so uh well we're excited we're excited for you ron to uh be actually out planting something this time of year something we're not used to here in northern new york and ron we've got sitting at the desk with us the one the only the morning radio diva (laughs) uh historic diva the one and only al waltz how you doing al well i survived covid (laughs) <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, actually, I forgot to tell our listeners that you were down with COVID. Yeah. So. Oh, jeez, I wish that anybody, yeah. You don't look any worse than you already did. Well, I guess that's all right. <laughs> what exactly do you mean? Oh, I love you, Al. I love you. Well, anyways, welcome. I want to uh, be with Ron. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, guys. Glad to have you both here. We have a very distinguished guest with us this morning. He is the chairman of the House of Representatives Agriculture Committee, and he hails from the 15th District down there in Pennsylvania, which is a great place, almost as good as northern New York. I don't know if their cheese is as good as ours, though. We'll we'll find out in a second. I'm sure he's going (laughs) to let us know. Uh, But, you know, one thing before we get to the agricultural introduction of our guest, uh, I also found out that... uh, Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson is a uh, Eagle Scout. Wow. Yeah, Eagle Scout. And he's been involved in scouting for 30-plus years. He is a recipient, a recipient of the National Distinguished Eagle Scout Award, which he received in 2012. And there's only been 2,000 of those presented since 1969 so pretty cool now uh chairman uh al is a former cub scout right i was cub scout boy scout star scout oh that's right you made it to star scout i was never a scout but my son is an eagle scout and i was a scout scout leader for many many years and uh went through wood badge i'm a beaver beavers rule and uh, I'm waiting to hear his response to see if he went through wood badge. So welcome to the show, Chairman Thompson. How are you doing, sir? Uh, Jay, I'm doing great. What a pleasure to join you and Ron and Al. Uh, <laughs> God little, bless little you. Jealous, little jealous of Ron. Ron, whatever you do, bring back some of that sunshine. Please. Yeah, yes, I will, here. Chairman. Yeah, we, we could use it here. And, uh, and by the way, Jay, uh, all I can say is uh, Bob Whites are just limbs and Oh, no. 
I was a Bob White, and uh, although I will say I've, I've staffed uh, as a uh, wood badge staffer, I've staffed uh, uh, most of the uh, patrols and, and uh, finished up as a course director. You know, scouting probably better defines me than uh, anything else in my life, but it's because of those principles, right? Duty to God, duty to country, service to others. Amen yeah. to that, brother. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, uh, and- so. You know, Jay, I've got I've got my two grandsons are uh, moving up through the ranks uh, as we speak, and I've just seen uh, just tremendous uh, growth of uh, you know my oldest grandson. Uh, you know, was always pretty timid, and uh, you know he's just been able to really uh, really shine moving up through, and and his ability now to get out in front of people, and it's been a great growth experience for him. So. Uh, we big things to come there yet, but certainly exciting to to watch that kind of growth in young young individuals. Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, when I when I saw that you were uh, a boy, you know, an Eagle Scout and a Scout leader, uh, Chairman Thompson, I I had to make note of that because it is one of the best leadership and character development programs across the world, not just here in the United States. So uh, thank you for being involved and supporting yeah, scout, it. Scouting is still a force for good. Uh, and, I, and in fact, I believe it, that uh, boys and girls both uh, need uh, scouting more today than perhaps uh, Ever. even back in 1911, just because of all the things that they face. I, and uh, and I've been involved in scouting. The numbers were a little flip for you. I've been involved 52 years. Oh, wow. Me. Think how long I've been starting at age, age eleven. So you do the math, and uh, we uh, and I, you know, we raised three Eagle Scouts. My wife and I raised three Eagle Scouts. But uh, uh, probably one of the proudest moments we had this week was when we got a call from our ten-year-old grandson that he uh, earned his Weeblo Award. Oh, so, nice! So cool! Nice! Yeah. Nice! Awesome! Well, I I actually get to go to a Eagle Scout uh, border review tonight. So. Cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I love going to those. Love going to them. Well, sir, we only have you for a finite amount of time. And as much as I'm sure all of us would talk about scouting for the rest of the show, we have a very important topic, and that's agriculture. And, and congratulations on becoming the chairman of the House Committee on Agriculture. Uh, that is fantastic. Congratulations on that, sir. Well, thank you so much. I'm just the third Pennsylvanian to do that. Well, the last time there was a Pennsylvania, there's only been three. We had the first one in 1820. We had one around just prior to the Civil War. Uh, so it's been uh, nearly 170 years uh, since the wow. Keystone State has had a, a member of Congress. And of course, uh, you know, it's our, our number one industry here in Pennsylvania. Uh, our, obviously, our agriculture, uh, the size of our farms, the commodities, the similarities between New York and Pennsylvania are uh, and they're just spot on, right? It's uh, um, and so that's why I was really, uh, uh, really proud to add uh, uh, two New Yorkers uh, onto the Agriculture Committee: Nick Langworthy and Mark Molinaro. Oh, those yeah. are those are going to be great, uh, great members of the committee. Uh, fantastic people, and uh, looking forward to having them represent uh, New York on your committee. That's fantastic. Yeah, excited to have them there. It's uh, uh, New York's uh, New York agriculture is really important, uh, and um, and and obviously both the districts that they represent are, are huge agriculture districts. A lot of a lot of dairy, 
Um, and so, uh, so proud to have him on the team. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, we, we certainly appreciate having now your strong voice along with two of our New York representatives there to, uh, give Northeastern agriculture a very strong voice on that. That's something that we've needed and it's great to have you want to, uh, want to get into, uh, some of the questions we have for you, sir. And this, this next question is going to be fairly open-ended. So, uh, just, just be prepared, uh, and I don't mean to start it off on a little bit of a, a negative note, but I think it's important to to frame the rest of our conversation this way. What, what are the challenges uh, from your perspective that are facing agriculture across the United States? I mean, you have a you have a unique opportunity to look at agriculture nationally as chair of the House Ag Committee. What are the challenges that that you're seeing? that we're facing, or at least the bigger challenges? Well, it, uh, it's many and significant, and it's a shame because it's our number one industry in almost every state. Uh, it is the industry, uh, as a result of the hard work of these farm, ranch, forestry families, uh, uh, the folks working in agriculture processing and manufacturing, I mean, I mean they, they provide us our food, our fiber, building materials and energy resources, and yet uh, for far too long, the American farmer, ranch, and forester has been misunderstood, uh, scapegoated, cast aside. I would say criminalized. Uh, I think on the climate issue, uh, they've been put, mm. uh, they've been trying to put bullseyes on their backs of being climate criminals. And it's just not true. On the climate side, they're climate heroes. Nobody does it better anywhere in the world. Uh, we sequester far more uh, greenhouse gases than what is admitted on those agriculture lands. The data backs that. And, you know, if you look at something like climate or with real science, not political science, you'd see who the who the true heroes are. Um, but, you know, we, um, you know, you know, part of it is, uh, I mean, and, you know, and I don't think you're starting on a negative. I think especially as I approach the farm bill, we need to we need to know what the what the reality is. Right. What what are the headwinds that are facing these producers, uh, you know, skyrocketing input costs? fractured supply chains, attacks on domestic energy production, regulatory burdens like now uh, uh, waters of the U.S. is being uh, reintroduced by the Biden administration. My head yeah. explodes on that one. It just oh, explodes. The it's crop terrible. protection yeah. tolls that have been taken away by the, you know, the EPA, you, you know them, the Excessive Punishment Agency. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, and inflation levels that we haven't seen since the Carter administration. And so farming has always been hard. Uh, but yeah. I, do, I do think, though, farmers and ranchers and those folks are in forestry families, all the agriculture family, they, um, no matter what crops you raise or livestock you produce or fiber that you're uh, you know, growing, um, there's just a connection to the soil and a connection to the land that's rewarding. Uh, but unfortunately, um, government, and particularly this current administration, has made it very, very difficult for these folks to, you know, to be able to survive and certainly makes it impossible for them to thrive. Ron, did you, you know, Chairman, well, I, just a quick follow-up. You know, Chairman, uh, uh, we talked a little bit about my involvement down here in Florida agriculture and and, uh, you know, I've really gotten, had the great experience of, of watching agriculture here in Florida uh, evolve and, and meet a lot of challenges. You've seen the citrus industry here decline tremendously, lowest crop this year in, in history, uh, 18 million boxes uh, 
I mean, that's a serious decline. We're seeing seeing massive amounts of prime farmland and ranch land here in Florida be uh, not only bought up by development, but bought up uh, to place solar panels on it. Um, you know, and I and I compare that to what's happening back in New York. Um, certainly, you know, much different politics here in the state of Florida than there is in the state of New York. But uh, a lot of the same challenges, labor issues. Uh, I mean, labor everywhere I go, labor is the common denominator. And, uh, you know, the fact that we need workable immigration program, we need, we need those reforms to happen. Uh, but just you add all these things and, uh, uh, you know, it really makes you start to wonder where, you know, where our industry is going to be and where are food and fiber is really going to come from. Exactly. You know, with this farm bill and this current one expires the end of September. So we're way behind, but we're we're working hard at it. Uh, the head, uh, uh, the, the ag Republicans, I gathered them for breakfast this morning. So we're we're going to organize the committee tomorrow. We've been waiting on my Democratic friends to finish uh appointing people to the committee you know there, there's a lot of issues here but here's my goal obviously we do a farm bill uh that uh is is about the farmer and I, and I like to say the farm bill is about those who produce those who process and quite frankly those who consume so that's everybody and gives us a chance for those folks who are too many generations away from separated from the farm to you know to be able to educate them to advocate with them so they understand just where their food comes from and how much hard work that it takes to get to that point and also we help them understand the the issues i you know people are amazed when i talk about um ag workforce you know they think that uh you know for, obviously there's there's no problems with that but we know that um you know every year that we lose farms you know because we can't get the reliable workforce and so uh, um you know an ag labor shortage paired with a uh uh, uh, an aging farm population. And I would throw in there another factor that's, that's just the available pool workers. I mean, my grandparents, fam, uh, their generation, I think had 13 kids, something like that. My dad, it was like uh, six or seven. You know, we had three in my generation and, and millennials and Gen Zers today are delaying getting married and starting families. So that starts us yeah. out with a smaller pool. And it really hurts most is um, on a, a jobs that are, Special jobs, but they're hard jobs, right? All kinds of weather. Um, you know, if you've got livestock, it's seven days a week. Uh, there are no days off. And, um, you know, and that's agriculture. And quite frankly, uh, if we don't have a reliable workforce, we, we have food insecurity. And you have food insecurity, you will have national insecurity. That kind of leads me right into uh, my next question, Chair, Mr. Chairman. Um, Talk about the farm bill and engagement in the new farm bill. And I, I go back, you know, I think my farm, first farm bill I was involved in as a farm bureau member was 1985. Uh, you know, that was kind of a, that were tough times in agriculture. And, you know, everybody even today talks about the 85 farm bill. We still have some policies in place that today that, uh, that were uh, created in the 85 farm bill, but, one of my observations really has been that, you know, for many years, farm bill years, I mean, here we are this year with a new Congress, uh, getting, you're getting geared up to debate a farm bill. 
for many years, the level of excitement and engagement around a farm bill was just monumental. It was tremendous. You had the commodity organizations, you had the rank and file farmers, you had the agribusiness folks, the processing groups, everybody was involved. And, you know, everybody was uh, sending their message to their, to their representatives and, and, you know, lobbying was, was pretty commonplace to make sure your message was heard. It just seems to me that the last couple of farm bills have become somewhat lackluster, in my opinion. They've, uh, you know, can maybe lost their shine. I know direct subsidies are something that, you know, has gone away and there's been more of a focus towards conservation and, and risk management programs. But my question, I guess, is how do we, you talk about engaging the industry. How, how do you plan to go about doing that? How do we bring bring some shine back to the farm bill debate and, and put it front and center? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, the leadership skill that we don't always talk about, in fact, we, we fail to talk about as often as what we should at this point, is storytelling. And American agriculture has a great story to tell, and, and we all need to be doing it. I, I will say the 2018 Farm Bill actually was the Farm Bill, uh, was the first Farm Bill, in, uh, to my knowledge, uh, in my lifetime, that actually passed the same year it was introduced. Um, and it quite frankly passed with the, the largest number of votes from both sides of the aisle. And so that was a success. That's a high bar. Uh, I hope I can meet that, uh, meet that metric going forward. Uh, but it, it takes having everybody at the table. As I like to say, when it comes to public policy, uh, if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu. And we, we need everybody and, uh, and all the folks that you had named uh, need uh, to be at the table. And we need to tell the story. We need to tell us the story uh, because too many people or too many generations removed from the farm. They, they think their, their milk comes from a grocery store, their bread comes from a convenience store. And that's just not the case. Uh, it, it doesn't happen by accident. Um, it happens as a result of great hard work. And so telling that story, helping people understand that American agriculture really today can be defined by three words, science, technology, and innovation. Uh, and by doing that, we can attract young people whose family haven't farmed for generation, I, I think, into this industry because we, you know, we, we need to, to figure out who the next generation of farmers has come. That's why I want to work hard with, with this farm bill to make it uh, the farm bill that serves the farmer of today, quite frankly, the farmer of tomorrow as well. Um, and, uh, and to talk about our productivity, I mean, our American agriculture productivity has increased. Uh, it, it was at 287 percent. Uh, since 1940s, uh, it slipped a little, or 287 percent. I'm sorry, uh, to 1940s. It slipped a bit with this uh, incredible inflation uh, to 279 percent. But my goal, with the right policies, we we can take American agriculture's productivity to 400 percent increase since the 1940s by the year 2035. So it's telling that story and just showing how important it is. Congressman, I'm, uh, I'm wondering, as the uh, discussions continue about the um, farm bill, what, what would be your priorities? And can we get some of those discussions up here in dairy country? Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, first, obviously, priorities is, uh, uh, and maybe this is my background in, in health care, uh, uh, Jay. I've... Uh, I never walked in when I practiced healthcare for 28 years. I never walked into a patient's room with my a team of therapists, and that we never met the patient before. We never looked at their chart. We never talked to their family member, and we walked into the room and looked at them and said, "We're going to do this and this and this to you." That would be malpractice. 
Well, so you got to start with evaluation. You got to start with assessment, and that's the phase we're in right now. So we first we need to continue to conduct a thorough audit of what's working, what's not, and what needs fine tuning. Uh, now we can walk and uh, I assure you we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So we're also going to expect <laughs> to see a robust oversight of uh, some of the reckless spending and the Biden administration's crippling regulatory agenda. And this will be a farm bill that puts producers first uh, and with the focus to revitalize rural America, or as I like to say, restore a robust rural America. So we need to tackle things like energy costs, the politicization of pesticides, crop protection tools, and uh, an, a watchful eye on excessive regulations. And, you know, regulations is just long for tax. Uh, that's a, it's, <laughs> Uh, but And that's just the beginning. So we're, we're looking at the safety net, need to make sure that, uh, see if there's ways to mitigate uh, costly ad hoc assistance that we've had to do because of disaster spending. And and, um, and my farm bill priorities really are dictated by what I'm hearing on the ground from the hardworking uh, men and women of agriculture. And as I mentioned, I'm really excited about uh, uh, having both uh, uh, Nick Langworthy, New York 23, and Mark Molinaro, New York 19, coming on the committee now. Uh, with New York being a great agriculture state and a great dairy state, uh, the home of Philadelphia cream cheese. Hey, uh, amen. Just an hour from from our from our location. There you go. I'm a big fan, and I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that Philadelphia cream cheese is in New York. Yep. Uh, so it's good to get to tell that story. And we are going to take the the uh, the farm bill listening sessions on the road. We started out in Pennsylvania at the uh, 107th Pennsylvania Farm Show uh, that uh, on uh, Friday, January 13th. It went. We turned that into a lucky day. It had a great turnout, hundreds of people in attendance, bipartisan uh, members there. Next week, uh, we're going to be kicking off uh, a uh, an official farm bill listening session tour at the World Ag Expo in California. Um, uh, that's gonna be at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on on uh, on Tuesday, February 14th. And, uh, and I am absolutely uh, determined to make it up to the Empire State uh, for an event in the coming months. I, uh, I, I don't know what form or fashion, uh, but I will be there and we'll, we will be uh, taking the opportunity working with uh, both uh, Congressman Langworthy and, and Molinero to, you know, to hear firsthand from the producers, processors, key stakeholders of uh, what I used to call rural America, I call it essential America today, because all the things that we provide is essential to the lives of every American family. Very true. Congressman, well, we've got you on the horn here. You've got to listen to my one gripe. I I don't like paying $6 for a dozen eggs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I talked with an egg farmer that was, uh, uh, I'm trying to to think where, uh, what county I was in at the time. I think it was uh, up north, and and they were getting 25 cents a dozen is what they were what the wholesaler was buying them for there's oh, a yeah yeah it's I, mean, I know the diesel fuel and transportation costs and uh just um you know part of it is part of it probably of that is regulations and again i i believe regulations are tax probably some there is a you know some that may be necessary and some that absolutely is just abusive and does nothing but add on to the cost of to the American consumer. Ron, uh, did you have something? To yeah, yeah. Well, Chairman, to to move along here, we we talked about dairy in the Northeast, and and certainly uh, 
we have a lot of uh, specialty crops in both Pennsylvania and New York and all across the Northeast as well. But to talk, you know, as we come into these farm bill debates and we talk about dairy, uh, you know, one of my, I guess, to follow Al, one of my gripes is, uh, you know, we've done a, it seems like we've done a really great job in the last few years of really dividing the dairy industry and, and parsing it into size categories and, and the programs that have come along like dairy margin coverage, um, a risk management opportunity for dairy farmers is, you know, that tier one coverage level being at 5 million pounds, uh, very low, uh, certainly favoring, you know, small uh, family farms, but, you know, how do we, do you foresee any changes in, in that going forward in those tier one coverage levels? We have, we have other issues like federal milk marketing, uh, regulations, uh, you know, some changes in the class one mover being proposed. How does that fit in the farm bill? But, you know, can we somehow or another get back to looking at the dairy industry as a whole and recognizing that it takes all sizes, small, medium, large, uh, to make this industry what it is here in the Northeast? Uh, you know, absolutely. We This is something that's near and dear to me as someone who's led on dairy, been kind of the dairy leader in uh, in Congress. Uh, you know, I was really pleased with the feedback I've got, especially during COVID, the dairy margin coverage. But, you know, just know, Ron, I, I, don't, uh, I don't discriminate based on the size of the dairy farms. I, I like a diversity uh, of dairy farms. Well, one of the reasons I was really excited about Mark and Nick coming on board is I think their dairy farms are about the average size of mine, and they most, mm-hmm. mostly qualifies as small. And But we can't afford to lose, and that's the ones that are most at risk. Those are the ones we tend to lose uh, more frequently uh, with the loss of herds and dairy families. And and uh, I, I like small farms. I like more farms because that spreads risk across more farms um, in this day and age. And and so we're, you know, we're we're going to take a look at our options. Uh, that that's part of the audit process. That's part of the listening sessions, the hearings we're going to do here in Washington. And quite frankly, those that will take on the road. I'm looking forward to this discussion up in the Empire State at some point. Um, you know, Gary is a top priority for me. And generally, I think while the DMC program is working uh, fairly well, uh, a, a good honest discussion really looks at what's not working and, and how could we make it better. And evaluating things like, and you've named it, like the tier one levels, the the cost formula, the and, and eligible production to see where we can afford to uh, to to uh, to make improvements. So those are all things that are on the table that that we need to take a look at. Some of that may be farm bill worthy of of some remedies or solutions if need be. Uh, some of it might be just pointing USDA in the right direction to, right. Uh, within the authorities that they have as well, to, that they could help to fix these things. Ron, did you, uh, you also had a question on specialty crops, if I remember correctly, that you wanted yes, to Yes, yeah. So following up on that, uh, Mr. Chairman, um, we do have that diversity in New York and Pennsylvania. I mean, it's always great to, to travel into Pennsylvania and see the 
you know, the, the farmer's markets, the, the vegetable markets, the vegetable auctions that go on there. We have, we have a dynamic industry in New York as well. There's some programs there, you know, like the whole farm revenue program, the, the NAP program. I was state director for FSA for several years under Bush 43 in New York. And, and, you know, and I still talk to state committee members today and they talk about the NAP program and, and how it, you know, it is so cumbersome and, and yet, you know, some of these specialty crop producers depend on it. Um, you know, is there an opportunity to, you know, like you said in dairy to, to really focus in on, on some of these, I know, you know, the big commodity crops get a lot of attention, but you know, there's an awful lot of farmers in the Northeast that depend on, on that are specialty crop producers that depend on these programs. So just wanted to get your opinion on that as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and a couple aspects to it. Uh, first of all, you know, getting more folks into the crop insurance, into crop insurance has been a push of, uh, for several farm bills. And, and the whole farm does provide a greater tool for diversified producers. And, and quite frankly, uh, by diversifying, you're, you're mitigating your risk, right? You're, you're able to look right. at the markets of, you know, what are commodities coming in? What are the, your input costs to produce? And it helps you make better decisions and you have to, helps you have confidence. And in the end, quite frankly, it gives confidence and certainty to the lenders, uh, you know, because it's, you know, we, uh, the, amount of, the amount that you have to borrow to be able to produce on an annual basis and then pay those loans off. Uh, the, the main complaint uh, I hear, and it's what you reflected on, is about the, the complication of the program uh, for both the insured and the agents writing the policy. So, um, you know, there, there is a, a, a widespread disease when it comes to government. It's called bureaucracy um, and, uh, you know, and complexity. Let me use a better word, complexity. And so one of the yeah. things I dedicate myself that whatever we do is that we try to reduce the complexity with this. We, we, we streamline um, uh, the any, all the processes were appropriate. I mean, our, our farmers do not have the, especially our small farmers, medium-sized farmers, they do not have the resources to be able to, you know, the, they're so busy working each and every day on the farm that, you know, the, this extra uh, compliance issue of filling out forms and applications is really difficult. So we want to make it, obviously, I'm looking to everything we do to try to to uh, reduce complexity, streamline the process where appropriate, and make it more attractive for producers to participate in it. Mr. Chairman, and for folks that might have just joined us, we're talking with uh, Chairman G Glenn G.T. Thompson. He is the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, hails from the 15th District in Pennsylvania, and we're having a great conversation with him. And, and we are starting to run out of time. I just want to grab one or two more questions, if you can. If you need to go, sure. just let us know. No, go ahead. Let's do these last two. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, so part of the Farm Bill, for, for folks that don't know, uh, the Farm Bill deals with, obviously, agricultural production, but a bigger part of the farm bill deals with the availability of food to consumers and that nutrition title which is the biggest part of the farm bill how do you plan to work with both democrats and republicans to ensure that the nutrition program needs are met and that it doesn't become what we see way too often just a big partisan issue with all kinds of fighting from both sides Good luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would Indeed. vouch. 
in the 2018 Farm Bill, in addition to be the vice chair of the full committee, I, I chair the nutrition subcommittee. Okay. And I'm very proud of the nutrition subcommittee. I uh, of of the uh, sub of the subcommittee, but also the nutrition title. It's you know it's uh, you know I you know we should want to uh, we need we want the nutrition title in the Farm Bill because you know it's that's it's important to markets and especially how I've reorganized the subcommittee. You know it's nutrition. It's foreign agriculture. I also put horticulture in there because of the emphasis on, right. on fresh, healthy foods. Uh, and that's all in the jurisdiction of the nutrition subcommittee. You know, the nutrition title re for me represents a rural, um, you know, having lived in rural America uh, my entire life. Uh, it, it's a rural value where neighbors help neighbors in need. And the people we're talking about are the people that are struggling financially. And it's usually short term. I mean, the even scripture says that uh, the poor will always be among us. Uh, we just don't want them to stay poor for real long. Right? Right. And, we, we, and that's what the nutrition title does. Most people don't know this, but we provide uh, not just nutrition assistance for folks who are actually struggling financially, their families, but we provide SNAP employment and education or career and technical education uh, support. So because what they need in addition, as importantly, of getting nutritional food while they're struggling financially, they, they need to, to get on the rung of ladder up opportunity. And we've got great paying jobs out there in all areas, all fields, all geographic regions that, um, you know, that they're looking for employees and they're paying family sustaining wages. And so just know that that's a part of the nutrition title, that that ladder of opportunity. That's also part of the, yeah, significant amount of money that gets spent. Now I, I'm a, we talked about scouting. I'm an old boy scout. So I, I follow something I coined as a uh, long time ago, uh, BC before Congress's principle-based <laughs> leadership. And so, uh, so I lay out, there's four principles that guide me when it comes to nutrition policy and each one, uh, and in each will be based on our assessment of the title. So the first is to serve recipients with innovation and flexibility, incorporating that actually science, technology, innovation to every one of the, of the subcommittee jurisdiction, but on the nutrition, uh, it's we want to serve recipients with innovation and flexibility. This is year 2023. We have the ability to do things more efficiently, innovatively. Second is we we must pursue independence through employment and career and technical education. That's that's been a part of the farm bill for decades. Um, now, where we get into problems is where we get uh, some liberal governors that that uh, would sooner just keep people poor and well-fed. I want to keep them well-fed and, and quite frankly, uh, quickly uh, employed uh, so that you can re realize the American dream. Uh, next, it is important to return and maintain robust program integrity. I mean, that's a responsibility that those who work in government have. We, you know, uh, where there is abuse, uh, you know, we need to root that abuse out um, so that we actually use the dollars to help people who are truly in need. And lastly, we, we need to enhance nutrition education and promote healthier eating. Uh, that's, I, I think that's a, I think those are four fair principles. Uh, uh, I think those are principles that no matter what uh, every member of the, of the committee, I would hope would get behind, no matter what their, what their party is or where they come from or who their constituents are, because uh, they're, all of their constituents will benefit if we can achieve those four principles. No, it sounds excellent. Sounds excellent. Al, you had one last question, and then we have to wrap up. Yeah, Congressman, there's a problem across the country, but especially, especially here in the Northeast, and that's uh, meat processing capacity. 
Is there anything that can be done through the farm bill to address that? Uh, I'm sorry, repeat that one more time. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's a problem here, you know, across the country and here in the Northeast, and that's meat processing capacity. Uh, It's it's not big enough. Is there anything that can be addressed in the in the farm bill? Well, we need to. It's just not big enough. And, and look at the average age. I think the average age of those mom and pop processing sites, uh, meat processing slaughterhouses, whatever we want to call them, um, you know, it's every bit as old as what the average farmer is, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, and so, uh, you know, USDA is still in the process of providing grants and loans, loan guarantees to diversify and increase processing capacity across the country. And, I, and I'm going to continue to monitor that effort, uh, and hopefully it will help. As, as we learn more about that undertaking and continue hearing from stakeholders across the country as we prepare for the Farm Bill, you know, we, we may very well determine that additional legislation is needed. I think uh, Dusty Johnson's Butcher Block Act, which passed the House last Congress, could be a, a really good starting point of consideration. Um, and then I think that, uh, you know, uh, where we look to our land-grant universities, I'm really proud to, you know, Penn State has, has created a, uh, uh, a, a butchering uh, program, you know, to, to train, uh, uh, to really to educate folks on, on that. Uh, includes, uh, you know, they have the meat lab there at Penn State. I think I would encourage our land-grants uh, uh, to step into that space and and I know you, I think you are on Jeffer- in Jefferson County. Yes. Um, yep. Uh, well, I have a Jefferson County in my district. It happens to be where Punxsutawney Phil lives. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but a program and some of the community directed funding that I was able to do there. And it just we need to be creative and innovative. Right. So so I one of my projects I helped to financially support was for the local vocational and technical school uh, to uh, to, to build and add on a, a butchering program, both for for high school students and also they can do it. They can do a separate track for adults. Um, it's just more ways to equip people with those skills. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, those are the kinds of things that we need to be very innovative because that workforce issue, you can't have production without processing. Right. And you'll have no processing if we lose production. So we we have to to look at both sides of that coin. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it's it's a huge issue and. You know, we've we've done uh, direct grants to uh, three of our custom processors here in Jefferson County over the past year from my office, Jefferson County Economic Development, to help them grow their processing capacity. So we're and, looking for. And thank you for doing that. I am so impressed with an economic development organization that recognizes that recognizes what their number one industry is and has farmers and ranchers processors at the table. billion worth of economic impact. You better be paying attention to it. That's the bottom line. So, Chairman, it has been fantastic uh, speaking to you. We appreciate you taking your time. Uh, I'm sure you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions right now. Um, We really appreciate your time joining Ron and Al and I here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, my pleasure. You all take care. God bless. And thanks for the opportunity to join you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ron L., you folks have a great one. And, and you, uh, Good job. And we didn't get too hard on the on the congressman. We went easy. So He's one of the good guys. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, great, great, great 
interview. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's a wrap. You all have a fantastic week, and make sure you tune in next time right here on Jay Madison's Rural America. For tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.